a bleep show, some may call it. What happened over the weekend for the Philadelphia Union? A 3-2 loss to Montreal, and there were a lot of shenanigans that happened. So a lot of things to break down, and we're going to do that right here on the Union Soccer Podcast. My name is John Jansen. You can follow me at jjansen. 34 also joining me joe tanzi the star of the program and of course runs everything over at the union soccer you can follow him also at jtanzi 90 for any of the march madness shenanigans mls whatever the thing whatever it is joe tanzi probably covers it probably talks about it and probably writes about it as well Joe, um, I'll start off with this. Was it really a, a bleep show on Saturday? Was it really that big of a bleep show? I'll start off with this. You guys can unmute me on Twitter now. I'm done talking about college basketball all weekend. Because <laughs> um, I, I know I noticed that's a thing that either when either like a weekend of college basketball or like in the off season, I get this like influx of like Twitter interactions or followers uh, the Monday after such things happen. So you guys can unmute me. It's okay. I totally get it. I would mute me too if you were just here to talk soccer and that's it. Um, it wasn't. Look, all right. Here's what you should be upset about, and and this is about it. Is the the process? Look, at the end of the day, they got the call right, and if roles were reversed and Montreal's left back was caught way out of out of frame um and the right call was made union fans would be rejoicing the process for it going back to var now here's the problem you can't have uh, two var reviews in the same sequence it's got to be done in a more efficient in a more just just a better Yes. Process. Please. Like, <laughs> please. It, because it then looks bad on pro, the referees association. It looks bad on the referee himself. Like, that's that's who it eventually or essentially um, looks bad. Right. It on. makes it, it makes me question my question. Like, are we doing this right? Is this like all this legitimate? Not to say it was the wrong call, but yeah, when you go back to it again, it's like, yeah, okay, so. What was the first time yeah. about? And does that mean we're getting into the things wrong? And, you know, not just that particular play. Yeah, it just, I don't know, calls into question like, it, okay, well, it allows, this process, is, what, is it really working or not? It allows doubt to seep in. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It has to you don't want like that, that in, you don't, and you don't want that in a, a decision making process that is supposed to be a hundred percent right or close to a hundred percent right. Um, there are calls that fall through the cracks, but, this one was pretty straightforward after the second review. Um, it's a shame it got there. Now, the gripe that Union fans have is they think Jacob Glessness got fouled um, in the buildup to the goal and that uh, that should not have counted. I get it. I understand that perspective. But I think if, if you're going to if you're going to call that you know, maybe it's harsh on, on either end. Um, I think the more, I think the things you should be upset about more, upset about more if you're a union fan are another slow start, having to pull the, pull yourselves out of a, a deficit again, the positioning and just the poor defending in that bonkers five minute sequence that leads to those things happening. Like, pulling the cover back and a few days removed from it. Like that's how I, I view the, the game in the instant. Yes. It's frustrating that that happened, but there are mistakes that compounded into more mistakes that led to that process. Um, and I think that's the frustrating part is it, it just, it just all added up. And it ended in what happened in, in those final few minutes where two goals happened. Yeah, uh, it got really messy in the beginning. Uh, obviously, as you just mentioned, that's been a big problem for them. Is that the biggest problem? Like, what would you say? I mean, obviously, they're still going through CONCACAF and Champions League and all that stuff. So 
we, we yeah. know last year this kind of happened too, or a few years ago where they kind of struggled a bit and didn't really work out early for them. But then obviously things got better. And for the most part, it's probably going to be the same as well here. Uh, but what what is, I think, the most concerning part? Is it that slow start? Uh, is it not having Andre Blake? Uh, is it some positioning problems? Like what what would you pinpoint as like, man, this is this is the part that I didn't expect to go south that is going south. It's not all bad. Yeah, buddy. So, it's not like the world no. is ending, but obviously it's early season struggles and, you know, some early season mishaps. But those are things that can get corrected. But what needs to be corrected? So I kind of want to go through an exercise here because I think it's important yep. to to put it all in into perspective. If you look at some defensive stats. The Philadelphia Union, and I think this is what drives home kind of the most frustrating part of all of it. They've given up the fourth fewest shots on target in Major League Soccer with nine. They've only given up nine shots on target. They've given up five goals. And some of them are are preventable. I think all of them, you could argue, are preventable. Um, They're not giving up a ton of shots on target. And in fact, only the New York Red Bulls have a better or a lower shots on target against percentage in MLS. The union have allowed 43 shots, but only nine have gone on target. It's a 20.9% conversion rate for opposing teams. Red Bulls is 19.2. And then you have, I think it's only six teams are holding teams under 25% um, when it comes to a shot on target rate. And, And Cincinnati and St. Louis who were in that group have given up more total shots than the union. So I look at that and like, Oh, well that's interesting. (laughs) You know, it's, it's very weird when it comes to key passes. They're just in the middle of the pack. They've only, they've given up 30 key passes to opponents. League lead is 53. And then the fewest is, is 13 by the Red Bulls. But a majority of the teams have given up between 20 and 35. So just in the middle there, which isn't concerning. And then when you go to, Goal-creating actions, which is another goal-creating and, and shot-creating actions are two stats that I, I kind of compare across the league to. They're just right in the middle. 80 shot-creating actions, and then it's eight goal-creating actions. Nothing in terms of defensive stats stand out and be like, oh, this is this is a massive concern. Now, Here's the one thing I do have an issue with, you know, since we're talking numbers here. Um, <laughs> Julian Carranza committed seven fouls on Saturday. That's not good. It, it, it's not good. And that and, last one, man, that last one was careless. The, the, the red card, that was careless. Correct. So when you have things like that go when you're going against was you. That, did, did, was this ever the case last year with him? Is this maybe frustration or... Or what could this possibly be? Because yeah, he is that was that was not great yesterday. No, it wasn't. And in fact, because of that, Julian Carranza now leads Major League Soccer with 17 fouls committed. Um the Can't next closest the next closest player has 12. Who is um, that? Is it Martinez? Uh no, it, but he is high up on the list. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's, it's, it's of course. <laughs> and, yeah, it sends up Capetti from from Charlotte. No, actually, if you if you look at this, all these stats from FB Ref site I use religiously throughout the uh all seasons, really. The union have three players in the top twenty of fouls committed. Martinez and Bedoya both have eight, which is okay. That that's eight or close five games. You can at least be okay with that. But then when you see 17, and so that's Seven from seven from Saturday. So there's another ten out there. These are just major league soccer games. And this isn't doesn't include Champions League. That's the concerning part. When you go through all this data and the overall defensive numbers seem pretty good. So it's not like there's a a massive flaw for 90 minutes. But where the flaws start to come in is when you're Julian Carranza and you're on the road and maybe you chalk it up to a bad game, but the numbers kind of don't suggest that early on, you got to have 
a better handle. Like if, if you're getting a yellow for persistent infringement, maybe back off on that challenge because then you roll into this sequence of events and to the union's credit, they did a pretty decent job for that 70th to what 88th, 89th minute stretch where they held off Montreal's threat and they were able to do that because their defense is so strong and they brought in the defensive changes uh, to help deal with that. But then all hell breaks loose. Like you don't want that to happen in any game, but it could be prevented because you watch the game after the first goal, they responded well, but then you go back to these mistakes. Like, all right, say what you want about the handball on Glesnes, but the union put themselves in that position. They've yep. put that. They put themselves in that position. Yeah, we've had, we've said that yeah. all the time about the union. And it's the same case here. They just got put in a bad spot and a bad play happened. Yeah, and look, Miami almost scored off the opening kickoff against them, and that was a defensive breakdown. And and the two goals that that led to those Miami or the two two pl- buildups that led to those two Miami goals were defensive breakdowns. Um, now the adjustment was made against Columbus. They score four goals. And Joaquin Torres comes in and an adjustment's made to beat Chicago. So you can you can forgive a little bit. But then when we're starting to see this build up to a trend now, and to me, after the Inter-Miami game, I know my response was, okay, Champions League is ahead. If they get a result there, you can forget about the Miami game. But now you're building up on you know a slow start against Columbus, slow start against Miami the attack didn't find its legs until Fabian Herbers gets sent off in the Chicago game. And then the attack needs to be woken up against Montreal after an early concession. It's tough. It's tough to look at those, those four games now and think this isn't a trend. Now you can do that and erase, start erasing that against Orlando and Kansas city these next two weeks before to play Atlas in the Champions League. But it, it just, it's starting to feel like a trend and that's what you don't want. So I'm sure the the message this week is to just clean things up, have a cleaner start, all of that kind of things. But I wouldn't be overall concerned because the numbers still suggest they're, they're doing okay defensively, not historically great as they were last year. And some of the the mistakes are fixable. Like they're more closing in on, on players, making the adjustments, making the right reads instead of, uh, you know, there's no effort. The effort's there. It's just maybe not buys on the last goal, but for the majority part, the efforts there, it's just the execution stinks. And this is when now you doubt all win falls into that game winning goal where Baiza just gets flat out beat by Ramo Kyoto, Joe Bendik, one step, I, maybe it's a half step faster and he gets to the post, maybe has a chance of, of deflecting it. But also, I think it comes down to the timing. If you're going to be out with, be with Andre Blake for however many long, Jim Curtin did, did not give a timetable, noting that he was a fast healer. Um, that's, the chemistry also has something to do with the, the equalizing goal. Like Jack Elliott and Jacob Lessis are just standing there facing the goal mouth because they're either expecting the ball to go over or Joe Bendick to tip it over. And maybe Andre Blake does tip it over in that situation, but it clangs off the post, comes back in and boom, all chaos breaks loose. So is that, do you chalk the, the equalizer up to weird play, bad chemistry or not strong enough chemistry because Andre Blake's been in there for a while or is just flat out a, a bad effort. I lean towards the the first option on that one. The the game winning goal, that's effort. <laughs> that just it's it wasn't there. They got caught off guard. So if if your concessions are kind of the the tough luck, bad break, those types of goals, I can understand it. But we're leaning towards just breakdowns and effort, and that that becomes concerning. It does. But I will say, isn't it nice, reassuring to have somebody like Andre Blake in net? You know, I, effort's one thing, but um, look, I I think we will say the quality of play with goalkeeper. Look, Bendik's fine, 
But mm-hmm. it's Andre Blake. He's goalkeeper of the year, defending goalkeeper of the year. He could be that. He could be it every year. He's the best goalkeeper in MLS. There's got to be some level of confidence, uh, and I guess maybe a little bit uh, easier to play your position, especially for Glesnitz and Elliott, when somebody like Blake is back there. But I, I, it's got to be affecting them in some way, and maybe that's what we saw against Montreal. So that was what the second game. Bendik is in, yeah, fully, and it's the first game where you're really feeling defensive pressure. Because let's be honest, after the first 20 minutes against Alianza at home, Joe Bendik very rarely did a, a thing. I think he maybe had one save and it was late in the second half and it was a very, very easy. Like, yeah, soft. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember much. It was like a very, it was like a very, one, yeah. yeah. So this is truly the first time that in in moments of pressure, your your defensive spine is working with Bendik in this season. You know, they've, they've worked with him in training. You know, they prepare for things like this, but. There's also, it, it speaks to, and I know some people will disagree with me on this, but I think Joe Bendick could probably walk in and start on a quarter to 30, 40% of MLS teams and, and still be a reliable goalkeeper. But because the drop-off from Andre Blake, the three-time goalkeeper of the year, it, the drop-off is so steep to anyone that would replace him in net were like, Oh, well, Andre Blake should have had that. So how come, how come you didn't do better? Yeah. So I think it's to me, I'm not so, I'm not so concerned with Bendik not hitting that ball over the bar on the equalizer as I am with Elliot Inglesis not preparing for the rebound to happen. Because if, if they're in position, 0-4 gets doesn't, you know, body glessness a little bit. Like there's a way for either of them to get in front of a, a Montreal player, just clear the ball out, and then we avoid that that whole chaotic situation. And so they're Bendick, at least. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I just, I think Bendik did as much as he could on that on that play. But if you're reacting to it. Like I don't know. Is it is it because Andre would tap that ball over and and for a corner and and Bendit couldn't get there with, with his hands? Like he was in position. He just like maybe he, his reach wasn't there. I, I don't know. But I, I look at the reactionary part of it and is is that they have to build up the the chemistry and tendencies in gameplay? because that, that was the first true time they were tested as a unit with Bendik in there? Or is it, uh, it what, what, you know, I kind of had to quantify, like, what is, it? I think that's it. It was just the effort um, or the, the assumption maybe that the ball gets tipped over uh, is there and it caught them off guard. That's why 0-4 comes in. That's why that potential foul happens. That's why this offside thing happens. Like, that there's a whole reason why this series of events happened and you can pinpoint it to, Oh, well, they probably could have just, if they were in the right spot and not ball watching, probably could just clear the ball away. And maybe we're talking about a completely different result. So I do want to go over some positives. There's at least one Ua off to a slow start this season. Didn't have a goal at all for this season. And this year up until this game, he had two, did you notice any difference? What worked well for Ua? Uh, was this maybe a, a good get-right thing for Ua? Just what did you see in this game? Because he obviously, that's his best game of the season so far. So how do we quantify a slow start for a striker? That's a good point. Because Obviously, I, he's still so, involved, and he, he's been creating goals. But obviously, yeah, he hasn't seen any go in the back of the net until that game. Yeah, so, you're right. so I don't know if I can can sit here and say honestly that Michael Ua was horrendous in the four games. I get what his expectation is. It's the double-digit goals. He's DP4. Like, he should be doing all of these things. If you read the breakdown from the Columbus game, shameless plug for the Substack. go subscribe, go subscribe, go subscribe. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, go subscribe because also there's uh, we're working on some new fun content that will be subscriber exclusive, subscriber Ooh, it, nice, and nice. subscriber inclusive that you guys get involved with. Hopefully, if everything goes right. Um, so yeah, a little tease there. Um, 
but he did a lot of things right in that Columbus game in the second half where he was, uh, especially in the second half where he's just, he's in the right positions. He's taken all of these defenders away from Gazek and Carranza. So like he did a lot of good things in that Columbus game that point to, okay, a goal is common, a goal is common. And it did like, so to me, this isn't like going to throw a former striker under the bus, but this isn't, being anonymous Casper Shabilko for like three <laughs> games and then like popping up. Because no, that's, it's not that. Because that's the comparison we're going to make because it's, he he's the direct replacement um, and more of a replace, more of an upgrade than a replacement for being honest. Um, so the, the positives were there off the ball with Uwa where it wasn't too concerning. Now the Twitter types of the world and, and the super critics who judge strikers off of goals and only goals, which is fair because that is their primary job. The pressure was starting to get a little bit built up on Uwa. So I think just, just for the pressure's sake of a, of a striker for him to score two goals in the way in which he did was, was really good for morale. That being said, Carranza bossed that game. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, you know, I had the, the game on the computer while I had the March Madness on the on the two screens. And so I wasn't intently fight, feet, finding following every detail of 90, but like I'm watching it and every time they're building up, Carranza is involved. So like to me, Carranza ran the show, but off the ball, it was doing all these things to make sure he's in the position to score. And look, the, the second goal is just an incredible bit of, bit of skill to get that around the goalkeeper. Um, so yeah, look, huge. Also, that was a nice pass by Gostek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty incredible to take that. Just not and yeah. put it up until uh, it was incredible. It was a great. So, play by so the front three, I, I don't think you have to worry about them. Um, now, Uwe gets a chance to lead the line. We'll get until these potential configurations against Orlando in a little bit. But he is going to be the main guy on the field with Gazdag uh, away with Hungary for international duty and with Carranza suspended for the, the red card against Orlando, um, against Montreal. Um, so, Uwe, huge positive. Um, I think Carranza, I know he got the red card in the game, but he was really good in the attacking third. Again, the problem I have is when you're a forward, now, I need this to be said that the first six players on this list of fouls committed, and there's only there's only eight players in MLS who have committed more than ten fouls or ten or ten or more. Only one of them is listed as a true defender, Mascara from FC Cincinnati. The rest of them are, are mid- midfielders or forwards, and top three are Carranza, Capetti from Charlotte, and Christian ben- Christian Benteke, and, and Brian White's on that list as well from Vancouver. So. I get it. It's part of the job that you're gonna you're fighting for the ball and the way in which the union play you're gonna foul. But you can't commit seven fouls in a game. Because that stands out. Like that's the first stat that stood out to me. Forget the all the defensive numbers. When you commit seven fouls as a striker, of course you're gonna get persistent infringement. Excuse me. And then with the the way that game gets refereed, of course you're gonna be more vulnerable to a second yellow um, if the referee sees you going in for challenges and has whistled you so many times already, that's a no brainer. So to me, that's just, okay, you made some mistakes, move on, learn from it. That's what I think this entire Montreal game ends up being chalked up to is you made a mistake early, you made mistakes late. But if you, if you take those two five minute stretches out for 80 minutes, you got something to build on. And if you use that, and you correct these mistakes, then it becomes a more refined product as we get into the summer. No one's asking for perfect for perfection after game four going into no, game five. No, can't you can't. You but can't, you can. yeah. but you can't have these these little trends. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's the biggest thing for me is these little trends of the first five to ten minutes and just silly mistakes or just bad reads on these goals. Um, if those are cleaned up and 
there look things like that seen... have gotten cleaned up before we've seen Correct. that i always saw it last year where they mm-hmm. you know had some of those as you're saying trends and then immediately kind of as you know their season they really got in the heat of the season it all changed and they turned into what they did last season so yeah i feel like the the comfort is knowing that they have a really good coach there with jim Curtin. these players are really good that these things can be corrected and and you also have the benefit of playing the next three games at home you know orlando, orlando kansas city and the first like against atlas it's a huge boost you stay home there's no travel you don't have to worry about any any of the outside distractions just go in fix these things watch some film and you should be able to get six points from these next two league games and then everything looks right again i mean because it, let's do like a brief overview of, of MLS right now before we get into the Orlando game. So Atlanta is back. Or so the, the MLS narrative writers have told us. Um, I'm not convinced Tiago Almada is going to be there the entire season. No, he will not. He will absolutely not be. Are there you kidding a, me? The things we've seen from that guy so yeah. far? No way. No he's way. A, he's already a World Cup winner with, with Argentina. There is a better chance of it snowing in the middle of July in Key West, Florida, than Tiago Almada staying with Atlanta United for the entire season. Hey, have you that seen being the said, weather? Have you seen the weather patterns, Joe? That could happen. So <laughs> it's not as far fetched as you think. <laughs> um. So if you look at the rest of the East, like okay, New England, you expect them to be there. Cincinnati, we expect them to be there. Nashville. Same, although I forget which conference they're in all the time. Um, NYCFC, um, they're there. Oh, the Union are sixth. Not really, you know, we're not, sky is falling mode. Uh, Teams get off to fast starts. And it's really going to be interesting to see how this sustained success happens for these best teams in the East. Um, You know, I was here two weeks ago saying Inter-Miami, Inter-Miami. Oh, and then Gregor goes down with a, a big-time injury, and they lose two in a row, and all of a sudden, oh, maybe let's pump the brakes on them. You know what happens if Atlanta loses, say, two of their next three? Like, this is a hypothetical. Like, what happens then? What happens if their defense starts to let in goals when they're not scoring four goals a game against Portland or, or San Jose? Like, it, MLS can change so rapidly. So, while... Atlanta deserves their their press so far. St. Louis, for sure. Like, no one expected that. Um, which, by the way, I know there's no former Union players there. But, man, if that whole setup doesn't feel Union-y to you, you haven't been following along for the last few years. I mean, is it... I know we joke about Cincinnati being the the Midwest Bureau, right, of of the Union alumni because of Chris Albright and Pat Noonan going there and so many former players. But Lutz Fannensteel was at Hoffenheim right after Ernst Tanner. Like, there are, are ties. They play similar style of, of, of soccer. They follow the similar types of principles. And, oh, by the way, you know, he, he was very bold in preseason saying uh, – we have no DPs, you know, this is about the team, right? Like this is supposed to be um, all about the team, the team, the team, no DPs. Like who's heard of Joel Klaus before, you know, who's heard of of any of these guys, Um, at least some of these guys, a lot of them are, you know, Tim Parker is a very solid MLS veteran. Giacchini, the the U.S. men's national team forward is, um, he's kind of bounced around a little bit, you know, Roman Berkey, has come from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, but that's about it. That's about all we know about this team. And, oh, by the way, they're they're 4-0. Like, I, it feels very, very much like the start of the Ernst Tanner era in Philly. Now, I'm going to sit here and say that, and in a month, St. Louis could be falling off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> but... That's that's the vibe. I'm going to save Lewis. this clip. Yep, I'm going to save this clip. <laughs> you won't Just be the so only one. Bring it up. <laughs> you won't be the only one. But like, I sit here and like, I see all the praise that St. Louis is getting. You know, and then to like, you know, take it from my union microscope 
it does feel very similar to what the union have built, whether it's on purpose or not. I know John Hackworth is is part of the the setup behind the scenes there. His exact title is escaping. I think it's like director of of something, but but he was there before. He was there way before Ernst Tanner and Jim Curtin at the union. So what I'm saying is maybe the union's influence on MLS isn't just with FC Cincinnati. You know, maybe that spread to St. Louis and, and we're just not like the points just not clicking yet. But it to me, it's very obvious that that St. Louis gives off at least the start of the Ernst Tanner era type vibes. Now, again, they could lose three straight and we could be like, oh, they were frauds. But the more I look at it and the more I see the the similarities into how this thing's being built with a bunch of like, it's not with a superstar. It's very curious to me, like, oh, have they actually gotten this right? Now, again, long way to go with St. Louis, but Check back with me at the end of April because this is this is their schedule coming up, John. Away at RSL, tough game. Home against Minnesota, at Seattle, home against Cincinnati, at Colorado, home against Portland. If they're still on top of the West, then then we can really dive into is this really a a union replica out in St. Louis? But for now, it's just it's a hot start, riding a ton of momentum how they sustain 34 games is going to be interesting. But to me, it it is giving off union vibes. Let's get back to the Philadelphia union because union vibes after that loss, uh, maybe not great, but at least Jacob Glesnitz inking a deal. What can you tell me about that, Joe? It it fits exactly within um, the union mold of signing these star players to longer deals. And I'm going to assume there's a raise that comes within it in some regard because it's um, a longer contract and it's it's an extension, but it's a reworked deal uh, to get them a little more money. Um, this is the standard across the board. Um, it helps some of these transfer fees uh, and transfer money, you know, from from the Aronson brothers, from Mark McKenzie. You know, I think there was a little bit of residual from Austin Trusty as well that came in uh, when he was sold to Arsenal. Um, so there's a lot there that trickles in and allows you a little more financial flexibility. Now, I'm not saying these guys get like a couple thousand dollar raises, but they're getting enough of an increase with these extensions. Um, and then all of that says, well, what's Kai Wagner's? situation going to be like to me that's the thing that pops up every time one of these contracts ends up getting announced is okay so is there any progress being made on on kai we'll see i know that that was a an issue that we touched on a little bit in preseason Um, i wouldn't get too worried about it yet but that's kind of where just my brain goes from all the things that i've written about that is okay well another guy locked up does does kai wagner see that and does he want to commit to a few extra years here and not worry about fighting a, a relegation battle with uh, whoever in, in the middle to the bottom of the, the Bundesliga? I don't know. It's just something that, that pops in my mind. Could be, you know, this could be absolutely unrelated, but that's what pops in my head. All right. What pops in my head is we need to get a dang W coming up, Joe. Philadelphia taking on Orlando this weekend, and it is at home. And, uh, man, Orlando, finally not a draw. They lost, though, so they didn't even win. But, yeah, it's been uh, not a great start for Orlando this season. And, uh, yeah, the Union have done pretty well against Orlando the last time these teams played last year, September 5-1 to one win, one of the – five or more goal games that the union had last season uh, and a five, one win over Orlando that was in Philadelphia. So in Philadelphia union, obviously get things done at Subaru park. So uh, is this kind of what we're looking at again here, Orlando? I hate to say a get right game because I think Orlando might be better than what we're seeing, I guess, but uh, yeah, union at home. Got to figure that this one is a, is a W here. Maybe a good get right spot for them is, you know, just looking for some positives 
uh, as they get this season going. <laughs> yeah, so the whole dynamic around this match is, is interesting. I think Orlando was dealing mostly with Champions League. Like the and everything that's around, I believe it's the first time they've done it in club history. So uh, let's chalk everything up Orlando with Champions League. Um, so you can't talk about this match without talking about the absences, <laughs> right? Um, it sounds like I believe Pedro Galese, Orlando's goalkeeper, is with Peru. Um, so two of the top three, four, five goalkeepers in, in Major League Soccer, depending on, um, how you rate goalkeepers won't be in action in this game, which is a shame because uh, they really are at their best. Two of the most, I'll go ahead and say it, two of the best goalkeepers uh, in this side of the world, Pedro Galese for Peru and Andre Blake for Jamaica, uh, for Orlando and the Philadelphia Union club level. We won't see either of them. So it's a good thing for the Union because there's a a drop-off of quality there. The problem is, Who's going to play in midfield and who is going to partner Michael Ua up top? Um, that's a great question, right? Because there's so many ways this thing can go. Um, I posted it on the Substack again, subtle subtleties. Um, if you haven't read it already, kind of a breakdown of, of what could happen. So um, first of all, Andre Blake is still injured. We're going to make the safe assumption he's not going to be available to play uh, with the way he looked at um, when he came off the Chicago game. We're just going to make that assumption. If anything changes, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. If anything changes between now and Saturday, uh, he has his body heals miraculously. Don't think it'll happen, though. Julian Carranza is suspended, so there's two. Then you have seven international absences. You have the U-20s for the U.S. You have McGlynn, Sullivan, and Craig. Um, Daniel Gazdag is with Hungary. Richard Odada is with Kenya. I always screw this up. I can't remember. <laughs> Jose, Mor- Jose Martinez is with Venezuela and Damian Lowe is with Jamaica. Olivier Baizo is with the Union, not with Cameroon, uh, as we initially thought he would be. So that's a plus. My mistake on that. I know I tweeted that out uh, earlier this week. I corrected it, but uh, he is not with Cameroon. So you have your five regular defenders that, that start. Uh, we're including the, the Baizo, Harriel, whoever plays right back there. You know Ua's going to start up top. But then there, there are a few ways to approach this. The first, which is most likely going to happen, probably 95% chance, is Curtin's going to throw the 4-4-2 out there, and he's just going to plug in replacements. Because as he has said many times, data suggests if you change more than four players, uh, the results start to drop off. Now here, your force changes, but... Um, we could see Bueno for Martinez, Torres for Gazdag, Donovan for Carranza, and boom, there's your there's your three changes. There's your starting eleven. Um, Andres Perea comes off the bench, so you have whichever right back you don't start comes off the bench. There's two. The drop off becomes significant after that. Now, look, that's probably the way Jim's going to do this. I think the only other way you approach this is if you want to start Torres as your, your second striker. Um, and then that allows you some configuration to get Andres Perea on the field. Cause he's played so well. Oh, by the way, this is a game against his former club. Maybe he's a little motivated by that. Who knows, but it, it's kind of, it kind of explains itself, but then you want to get weird, John about formations. Heck yeah. Let's get weird. I like when we get weird. <laughs> All right. So here's, Two other ways that I've thought about this, and this is if you've already read the Substack post, you kind of know where my head's at. And I kind of got an idea from seeing everyone's tweets on Monday as well. You could bring back the Christmas tree. Um, in in that instance, you play Ua as your, your lone striker and you fan out the midfielders of Flock, Bueno, and Bedoya and you play Torres and Perea as attacking mids, dual tens, whatever you want to call it, and you leave Chris Donovan on the bench. Now, I know some people weren't happy with Chris Donovan's performance against Alianza. I understand that. Um, this kind of, you I know how they do... it was all bad, though. No. Like, so there's some, there some positives I saw from it. Obviously, so the, the bad looked really bad, but I don't yeah. think it was all bad. So here's the comparison I'm going to make. Um, you know when, in the NCAA tournament, the bracketologists say, I'm not projecting what... I would do. I'm projecting what the committee will do. Yeah. 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 
I get that. If we're projecting what Jim Curtin is going to do, he's probably going to do the same formation and start Chris Donovan. What I or any union fan on Twitter would maybe tell you is maybe you switch it up and let him come off the bench and go this Christmas tree format or another or one other formation. Perea deserves to be on the field in some capacity, right? Because he scores two goals off the bench. He's a starter and on any other team in MLS, he's playing against his former team. Like the motivation is just, is just served on a platter for Andres Perea to be a big factor in this game. You want Joaquin Torres in the field. So how do you do that in uh, the best possible manner? I think the only lineup, real lineup decision you come down to is, is Donovan going to be on the field or is it going to be some variation of this um, formation? Now, you can go 4-4-2 with Torres next to Ua and Perea as your like de facto 10. You could do that. Or, or you could do this this Christmas tree where Ua's a lone striker, Torres gets all the, the time in the world to roam. Uh, you're in a more defensive mindset, so you don't lose that structure. But the more I, I kind of talk about it now, the two the, the 442 diamond and the Christmas tree would operate in the same way, at least on the field, because we've seen Torres wanting to roam. And he's not going to be an out-and-out striker. So he's going to be out you know, on the wing. He's going to be in the middle of the field. So he's essentially, if he's used as a second striker or if he's used as a 10, I don't think it matters schematically when you get on the field because he's still going to do the same work. And the same thing with Perea. He's going to be in a, an advanced role. We, we most likely know that because of the personnel available. So does it really matter if he's starting as a a dual 10 or maybe on the right or as a 10 in the diamond with Ua and and Torres up top? Like, does it really matter? Because the roles are still going to be the same, right? Like, it it almost doesn't make sense to go to the Christmas tree if you're asking for it because Perea is going to do the same thing in either formation and Torres is going to do the same thing. So it, it almost like if you're going to do something different, put all five starting defenders in the field and, and, and screw around that way. Right. Like if you catch what I'm saying, because there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it just, it's to me, it just serves the, the, like the same functionality. So the more I think about it, the more it kind of just like, well, you're, you're doing the same thing, just calling it something different on a, on a piece of paper. Um, the other really weird, wacky idea to throw out there to, and this is to maximize your potential off of the bench. This is and the quality you have in case of a zero zero. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> it's your breaking case of emergency <laughs> type thing. Is you you get it, you find a way to put all five starting defenders in the field. Now, I mentioned this in the article. I doubt the union would go three at the back when Damian Lowe is not in town. Because that seems like the base they're going to use is, is low glasses Elliot as your three. But that being said, you could pinch Kai Wagner in, use him as a third center back, have Harriel and Baizo act as your wingers. Now the fullbacks in the four, four, two diamond are important going forward anyway. So you're they're They're doing like the same jobs moving forward. It's just in a different type of formation. So then where it gets interesting is there's your there's your back five and you have your goalkeeper Bendik. So you have seven guys for five spots then. You have Torres, Ua, and Donovan as your basically as your available forwards. We're counting Torres as a forward in this situation. And you have Bedoya, Bueno, Flock, and Perea. You could argue here, if you use these these five and you fan them out the back and and move them forward, that you might not need Bedoya in this game you could give him a rest and then have him be a closer off the bench again don't think it'll happen but if you kind of ride along with this hypothetical you put bueno flock and perea in as your three midfielders and then you can play 
Torres and Ua. And this goes back to how Torres would operate in any version with this personnel in the diamond or the Christmas tree. Torres ends up moving around in and around the box, uh, you know, 25, 30 yards back. Ua is still able to make his runs. But then Perea can do stuff on the right. And Flock has had that combination with Fogner. But maybe you're you're shoring up your defense because you know the attacking isn't there. And if you go for, say, if you go down a goal, it becomes a lot more difficult to score two because of, of who you have. So that's the, that's the way I would go if you're going to go, hey, look, we have our best defenders available, but we don't have our best attackers available. So instead of I know I threw the Christmas tree out as as a you know formationally as like a a way to do things, but the more I think about, the more I have more clarity, the more my, my brain has less March Madness fog on it like it did <laughs> yesterday. Um, <laughs> the Christmas tree, the four four two, are going to serve the same functionality with the personnel. The difference you have with the five at the back or three at the back, whatever you want to call it, is Kai Wagner has no attacking responsibilities. And if he does, it's on certain instances where he maybe creeps up through the middle of the field to combine with. Now, while having Bendick in goal instead of Blake change any of that, maybe they do go somewhat more so that's, and put, put more in that back line. So that is the argument you can make, right? If you're going to be like, oh, we're, we're going to throw this fan, all five defenders out on the back line and dare you to beat us with, with that and throw a new wrinkle in because it's not on film, um, especially with Wagner as the, the left center back if you're getting technical, um, yeah, that, that could shore up anything. But again, the argument that could be made is you want to be more progressive at home. Yeah. You want, sure. you want to, you want to dominate the chances, all that. And that goes back to any of the, the, the four, four, two Christmas tree, whatever, you know, the regular four man back line, but that's an interesting way to do it because to me, Baizo and Harriel, you're just doing a like-for-like substitution at right back. And maybe if it's one or the other, they come on and and have more of an an attacking impact on the game. Maybe they come in as a a replacement for Bedoya in like a standard four-man, four-for-two setup. But you're really not adding an extra attacker to the bench by doing that. Um, You have Donovan, who you can use in emergency He'll probably get like 20 minutes of run. And if you really need to, you go into like a, a Matt Real coming off the bench and he can fill like the left midfield role. But I think to if you're going to maximize your substitutions and shore up the defense, yeah, you could fan out the five, play. You still play Flock and, and Bueno in midfield, but then do you let Perea start? You know, do you go Perea and then go Torres and Ua? That way you have Bedoya, you have Donovan, and you have Real, essentially as your your top-tier subs on Saturday. The rest of the guys will fill up the bench, but how much playing time they get is dictated by the, the scoreboard. Then you look at that and you're like, you know what? That's not bad. We can get by with that. Whereas if you put just ev- everything on the table in the first 60 and it doesn't work, which it could, then you're stuck with um, what's your change Perea for Bedoya or, you know, the, the backup right back for, you know, whoever's on the right side or um, Real for flock. Like I think it, it becomes very, very limited. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's fun to, to talk about these things when we have a, a one week game and there isn't much to talk about at this point in the season. Um, and it's nice to even hypothesize about that because of the, the personnel that's been brought in. I mean, Perea and Torres are two perfect examples of this is the depth we brought in. And this is one of the reasons why with MLS playing through international windows that these guys are going to be so important with the squad and, and, 
we're going to find out just how important they are on Saturday. Yeah, yeah d- does it also find out how how Jim Curtin visions how he utilizes them? Maybe, maybe experimenting with some things. Obviously, it's early and all that stuff, but I don't know how much experimentation you can really do. But um, I guess what the what one, does this game kind of present itself for? Because we are going to get a lot of those guys that the Union just signed, and the guys that we we're talking about with all of this great depth now for the Union. I think the one guy we're going to find out a lot more about in this game is Andres Perea. Yeah. In any, any fashion, whether it's as a starter, as a sub, whatever, I think he's earned a start. I really do. I just don't know where you put him. That's my problem. Like, I think he should, you can move him to that 10 position. Uh, You can give Bedoya the night off or let him play 30 minutes off the bench and manage his minutes. Um, so that's what I'm interested to see. Does he work in Perea in any regard, whether it's the, the right side of midfield, whether he trusts him as a, as a second 10 um, or at least in an advanced role? Like, how does he fit into this equation? Because we know where Joaquin Torres fits. It's either as a 10 or as a, a, a supporting striker. But where Perea fits, you know, he's substituted in on the right side in the Ali, Alianza game at, at Super Park, but I'm very intrigued. I think this is a week where we find out where he's going to be and what he brings. And I really do hope he starts. Like I'm kind of rooting for that because it gives the coaching staff, however long, 90 minutes, whatever, to see what he can do in any formation. Whereas, you know, we know what Bedoya brings. I'm not saying Bedoya's had a bad start, but what I'm saying is, if you're going to do these, this managing minutes thing, maybe you do something crazy like the the five three two type situation, where you can afford to take Bedoya off, or maybe you just go a straight spot in the four four two, make your four changes instead. You know, I, I don't know, but I really do think Prey has deserved it. Jim Curtin's mentioned it that he deserves more playing time. Um, he's fighting for it every day. He would be a starter on X amount of teams throughout the league. So to me, that's the most interesting part. Like I know what Torres does. I know what he fits in here. I know what Damian Lowe, what his role is going to be. But what I don't know yet is what role the backup midfielder is going to have outside of Jesus Bueno and Jack McGlynn, who's not going to be available for Saturday. But we know he's Leon Flock's uh, essentially just backup or, or competition. What we don't know is... Is he strictly going to be played on the right side, Pereira? Or can he move forward? Can he do more uh, in attack than just score two goals and kill a game off in Champions League against a team that was was dead in the water after the second goal? I don't know. That's the part that intrigues me. He's the one guy that he's going to make a huge impact on this team that I really think could benefit from starting in any capacity on Saturday. The rest of the bench, look, we kind of know what they bring and is the drop off in quality that steep to a, a Jeremy Raffanello or a Nelson Pierre. Like it's nice that they get on the bench, but can they win you an MLS game? Not sure. Um, we know Matt Real can fill in, um, but nobody in his positions are gone. So um, he's kind of just stuck coming off the bench. So yeah, it's, um, but if you do want to get really, really weird, you could do Real for Flock and Perea for Bedoya and just throw a complete wrench in, in Orlando's planning, do your regular, <laughs> like this is getting, it's still in the four, in the, the four, four, two, but what you do is you put Bueno as the six real Perea. Then you go Torres, Ua Donovan, and you just say, here's our depth. Try and beat it. And Oh, by the way, we have flock, Bedoya and a right back on the bench to kill the game. You could do that. They won't do it, but that's, I think the other way this thing could get configured where if you really want to go for it and have this game done by the 60th, that might be the way to do it because we know Leon flock isn't as solid moving forward as say a Matt real who could, who could just be a left wing back. Yeah. He, he could be that. He could be a, just a straight out-and-out winger in a system that allows wingers. So, yeah, that could 
that could be a, a tweak too that we either see at the start or maybe in like the the 60th minute where if if Real and Perea don't start, Real's your Jack McGlynn this week and Perea comes in for Bedoya and you know, you still have some defensive qualities with Real on the left. It you know, you're kind of just <clears throat> you know what's going to happen, but you're also like, hey, this would be cool if something different happened too. So with all of those potential moves and the wackiness that you said, how do you think they do match up against Orlando? And with all the the guys that you said, formations and things that they can yeah. do, can they win against Orlando? I think that the answer means- to that is, it's, you know what, maybe a better question is like, how good is kind of this lineup that we could potentially see? Like where, where would, obviously you want the, the all of the quality that the union have. And uh, when it, they're all full strength and healthy, they're one of the best, maybe the best in MLS. But what is this version of the union in MLS? Because it seems like they'd be pretty good. And it seems yeah. like they could definitely beat a team like Orlando, especially at home at Subaru Park. Still very good. Uh, yeah. Still should win. Like the, yeah. the expectation, expectation should be a W no matter what at home. Plain and simple. Like that should be the goal. And this is why you bring this depth in. This is why you have these guys going one, two with each other in training all week. So yes, they should absolutely win this game. How much are they going to win this game by? I thought you were going to give me a prediction. I thought you were going to give me prediction. I thought you were going to give me goal scores. And you just stopped right there. What do you mean? Keep going. No, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go goal prediction because it still has, it still has not been great in the final third. So I think that's kind of a wait and see approach, but yeah, I think they'll win the game. That's good. Okay. At least I got that one out of you. All right, Joe, we'll wrap things up there. Uh, of course, plenty going over at the union soccer blog.substack.com. But what do we have for this week? Obviously, as you mentioned, international players, <coughs> international play happening. So you have that formation article out, which is really good. Check that out, union soccer blog.substack.com. But what else do we have going on this week here at the union soccer blog? Yeah, we make a little trip down to Chester tomorrow to talk to a few players. So they'll, they'll be up there and uh, a few other things as well. Uh, maybe we'll bait Jim Curtin into actually giving us a timetable on Andre Blake. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but that would be nice for a lot of people's sake. But other than that, no, it's a pretty routine match week. Like I said, there'll be, uh, come April, some hopefully some fun stuff um, that will include, um, will be inclusive with uh, subscribers that uh, we can have some fun with throughout the season, working on um, pitching that idea to the club. Um, so we'll have something on that. Hopefully it goes well. And uh yeah, keep subscribing. Keep telling your friends. Oh, by the way, we're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We, are we on... did it! Yeah! <clears throat> after, so, it. after so many years of, <laughs> of podcasting and doing all of this nonsense um, and the tweets each week, hey, how can we listen to you? Um, yes, we are finally on every one of your favorite podcasting platforms. So go subscribe. I already saw. I checked some of the the analytics on on Apple as well. So I, I've seen. Wow, I didn't even know about this news. Uh, so this even catches me by well, surprise. You, you guess have, what? I'm happy. Look at that's huge. Well, because well, you We're don't answer your podcast now, Joe. You, you, you don't happen. you don't answer your text messages. That's why I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> if you that's if a you very good point. If you ever want John Jansen to get anything done, you just you have an army of, of like five of us. I think it's me, Brace, Drew Smith, like guys that know you. And we just like harass you on Twitter to answer our text messages. That's a, that's a good idea. That'd be a great way to get me to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's a very good idea. So I'm not saying anybody else should do it, but yes, if you, if anybody at work wants me to get anything, <laughs> you, done, annoy the hell out of me. If Absolutely. you, if you, if you ever see us just like incessantly tweeting at John Jansen, be like, pick up your phone, stuff like that. It's because he, he does, it takes him two days to respond. to I love it. Well, now I can say in our intros, this is the union soccer podcast. Find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your body. Are we on Spotify too? And more. Yes, right. we're, we're, okay, okay. we're everywhere. <laughs> so now I can say that we're a real podcast. We're like Pinocchio when he finally became like, I'm a real boy. Yeah. We're hey, real your, your now. voice, your, your voice even went a few octaves like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. 
All right, so that is it for the Union Soccer Podcast, where you can find us everywhere, including Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there. Feels good to say that. Joe Tanzi, follow him at jtanzi90. Subscribe to the unionsoccerblog.substack.com for all of your union news and coverage. Again, match week this week for Orlando, and of course, plenty going on in terms of international play and players moving on, so formations, things like that. There's a lot going on. Joe will be talking to players, everything throughout the week. Also, my name is John Jansen. You can follow me at jjansen34. We'll be back for more next time here on the Union Soccer Podcast.